0: Okay, good morning, everyone. My family and I missed being with you last Sunday, but we had a very blessed time at our Sending Church, our Mother Church, the church that sent out a cool group of us here to start Pretoria West Bible Church. Um, We were with Living Hope Church in Hatfield last Sunday um, and really enjoyed our time of worship. And fellowship with them. We pray and trust that God will continue to bless the partnership that our church enjoys with Living Hope as we encourage one another and work together for the advance of the gospel. It's my privilege to open God's word for you now. We are back in the gospel of Mark today. It's Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I wonder if you've ever heard the legal term acts of God, acts of God. I think this term is probably a little more widely known in parts of the world that experience things like earthquakes and tornadoes regularly. Basically, insurance policies will sometimes include this terminology of acts of God to refer to uncontrollable events, things like tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, uncontrollable, powerful events not caused by humans and not controllable by humans. And basically, the idea is that anything that falls into this category of an act of God the insurance company basically argues that they shouldn't be as liable to pay out for damages that occur because of an act of God. Because you know the argument is, well, who can do anything about this? You know, who can do anything about this? What this term reveals to us is that we humans, we do recognize It's even there in legal terminology, that there are aspects of nature far out of our control, far out of our control, far too wild, far too powerful, things we simply can't even begin to control. And what it recognizes as well, at least historically, at least where this terminology came from originally, what it recognizes as well is that man while man can't control such things God can and God does. Interesting, right? Even in very secular societies, atheistic mostly atheistic societies today that that terminology would still exist. Our last few weeks in Mark, we've been in a section about parables. And parables were stories that Jesus told that use illustrations from everyday life to communicate spiritual truth. And they did so in a way that both somewhat hides the truth from those who are not really engaged and humbly seeking to learn, from those who are not really coming to Jesus in faith. And then they also teach truth on a deeper level. For those who are engaged, for those who are seeking to learn, for those who are coming to Jesus in humility and faith. Now today, you'll notice there's a there's a shift, and we'll be in uh, a section quite a quite a lengthy section for a while now that focuses on miracles, miracles Jesus did. This last section we were in called for those with ears to hear, to hear. If you have ears to hear, hear. And this section now is essentially a call for those who have eyes to see, to see. Both Jesus' teaching and his miracles reveal who he is, which we've seen, right? Who is this man? We've seen this is the most important question any of us can answer. Who is Jesus? We need to hear and we need to see attentively with faith. I said we're in Mark chapter 4 today, starting in verse 35. I'm going to read sections and make some comments. So follow along with me, please, starting in verse 35 on that day when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him now remember jesus had been teaching from a boat in the sea of galilee just a little ways off the shore right he was teaching from the boat So that the crowds couldn't couldn't get too close to him swamp him but the boat is still close enough to the shore that those standing on the shore can hear his teaching and now that the day has come to an end jesus's teaching has come to an end he simply asks his disciples okay let's take this boat and let's go across the sea of galilee and so they did and it was that boat and Uh, a couple other boats as well so at least jesus 12 disciples but then it seems like a number of other faithful followers of jesus true followers of jesus not just people there for the show not people there to cause trouble but people who are intently seeking to learn they all go over together in this small group of boats and these boats were likely um, research shows probably about eight meters long Okay, so, so not not small, small like a little canoe, but not a very big boat either. Okay, about eight meters long, only about two, not even two and a half meters wide. Okay, so not very wide boats, and only about one and a half meters high. And each of these boats could carry up to about 15 people. Okay? Now let's look from verse 37 and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he that's jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing see the sea of galilee is famous for sudden violent storms and this is by the ge- caused by the geography of the area see the lake itself is surrounded by high mountains and this creates a basin type effect and so there's times when there's strong winds blowing down into that basin and those winds will swirl around in that basin but this even though the sea of galilee is well known for these storms this must have been an especially violent and dangerous storm because in the boat with jesus in these boats are several of his disciples who are professional fishermen professional fishermen who have spent years fishing almost every day sailing almost every day on this lake They know it well. And even they are panicking. I pause for a moment trying to imagine this situation. It's dark, right? Because it's the end of the day before they set out. So it's dark. The storm is described as a great windstorm. So winds are howling and they're churning up waves on the lake that are rocking the boat up and down and tossing it this way and that. And water is gushing over the top, over the sides of the boat and filling it up. And even as you look around and you think, okay, we've got some professional sailors here, we've got some professional fishermen here. You look around and you realize that even they are panicking. If you're in that boat, you're pretty freaked out, aren't you? I would be. I would be. And we're also very telling. We see that when they wake Jesus up to get his help, listen to how strong this rebuke is. It's basically, don't you care that we are perishing? Jesus, wake up, we're, we're about to die here, don't you care? our lives are on the line. Why are you sleeping? Come and help us. This is a serious, scary situation. But as we said, right in the midst of all this craziness, Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is asleep. In the gospel of Mark so far, we've seen Jesus's power over demons over leprosy and all sorts of sickness, over paralysis, and so on and so forth, right? He's been doing many miracles. We have to remember, right, none of this means that Jesus is not truly man. Jesus was 100% man. He got hungry, and as we see here, he got tired very tired even i may have told you this before but one of my bible professors used to warn us against having what he called a clark kent christology a clark kent christology and some of you will know clark kent was the is the the name of superman right so what's the idea of a clark kent christology A clark kent christology would be saying well jesus looked like a man But he didn't really experience life as a man, right? Can't really cut him. He doesn't really bleed. He doesn't really get hungry. He doesn't really get tired. He just looks like a human, but he's an alien in disguise, right? And it's all so much easier for him. Of course, Jesus is God. And we'll see that very, very clearly shortly. But it's also important to remember that he lived his life here on this earth genuinely as a man. Here he is so tired from a full day of ministry, of teaching and healing, that he falls asleep in this boat and continues to sleep even as this violent storm picks up. Even as this boat's rocking up and down and getting tossed back and forth. Even as water's coming in over the sides. He's still asleep. He's exhausted. But this passage also shows us Jesus' perfect humanity. His perfect humanity. Because part of what Mark is doing here is he's contrasting the panic of the disciples with Jesus's composure, with how much Jesus is at peace. We've mentioned before that a number in a number of places in the Psalms, and indeed in the parable of the growing seed that we looked at just a couple weeks ago, being able to sleep when there's a lot that you could be anxious about time and time again in the Bible is a very tangible expression of the fact that somebody is trusting God. Trusting God and experiencing His peace. Instead of staying up all night trying to think of how you can control things that are out of your control, you trust God, you close your eyes, and you sleep. You don't stress. You know God is in control. And Jesus, we know, right, lived a perfect life a life of perfect righteousness a life where he walked with god perfectly including trusting god perfectly so completely right that he's able to sleep on the deck of a small boat in the middle of a crazy storm no no stress peace now of course though right this passage also shows us very very clearly jesus's divinity jesus divinity jesus is god the very god look with me at verse 39 and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. The wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Just like that. Just like that. This wild, crazy, dangerous storm that had professional fishermen, professional sailors, terrified for their lives. Peace, be still. stops done not just the winds right but even the waves right there in that moment peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm we spoke earlier about acts of God right things in nature that man simply cannot control Wild storms at sea is probably the example of this sort of thing that the Bible uses most often as a case in point. As an example of things we can't control but that God can. To drive home the point that only God is God. We are not. The book of Jonah, of course, is one example, right? Right? Jonah's disobeying God, trying to flee from God, and it's not going to happen. God uses the ocean to stop this runaway prophet. And then God uses the big fish or the whale or whatever the the big sea creature was, right? God controls all these details of nature. You can't run Jonah you're not in control god is psalm 107 is another uh, portion of scripture that highlights how much we can't control the ocean and the fact that god is in control of it psalm 107 23 reads some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters they saw the deeds of the lord his wondrous works in the deep for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea They mounted up to heaven they went down to the depths (coughs) their courage melted away in their evil plight they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end right as the boats are, are being tossed this way and that Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. People in desperate, dire situations and storms out on the sea. And what's the only solution? God save us. God help us. We can't control this, and God can and does and rescues them by controlling nature and bringing it under control and order. Man can't control stormy seas, but God can. And what do we see in this passage? Jesus can do what only God can do. Jesus can do what only God can do. The carpenter in the boat is the answer, not the professional sailors. Jesus can control the winds and the waves. And just like God, He can do it without any hassle. He speaks the word and it happens just like that the mighty power of God, we see in the creation of the world, right? God speaks, and it happens. Jesus speaks, and it happens. One thing that's fascinating here, is the way Jesus speaks to the storm, even as if it's as, as if it's alive. He commands it, peace, be still. And just like that, The wind and the sea obeys Him, obeys Him. In verse 40, Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, right, depending on how you look at this, I know why they were so afraid right we said earlier if i was on that boat i would have been terrified but in light of what these disciples have seen jesus do in light of the teaching they've heard him teach they should know differently now they've seen him perform so many miracles and even in this last section we've just seen right and this was even the day of this uh, this sailing trip, right? Remember, they embarked on the sailing on, on, this, this, uh, on this trip across the Sea of Galilee at the end of the day when Jesus was, was doing all these teaching, uh, was teaching all the parables we've just been looking at. So it was just that day that Jesus was emphasizing how his kingdom will grow, how it will overcome whatever obstacles come, come its way and how it will far surpass expectations i'm here and my purposes will succeed and nothing can stop them okay jesus yes we understand right one commentator said if that was the lesson this storm on the sea was the test and the disciples failed the disciples failed As soon as obstacles come, they despair. And Jesus says, come on. What have I been teaching you? What have I been showing you? Where's your faith? Jesus commands the wind and the sea, and there's a great calm. And then in verse 41, we see they were feel, filled with great fear and said to one another, Who, who then is this And even the wind and the sea obey him? Are you kidding me? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so now, right, they had been fearful about the storm, and now they're filled with great fear about Jesus. Whoever this is, this much power is is unsecking. This This is scary. Here I am in this little boat with someone with this much power. See, brothers and sisters the deity of jesus is not just some abstract concept it's not just some abstract concept this is something very very real with huge implications imagine imagine this scenario okay for some reason you're out alone in the middle of the kruger national park out in the bush And you find yourself surrounded by a pack of hyenas. And they're approaching you and they look very hungry. And you can tell they have every intention of eating, you, right? And you're starting to panic. And then suddenly, a massive male lion rushes up right up alongside you and roars, right? And these hyenas put their tails between their legs and turn around and flee. Good situation or bad? Right. OK, that solved that problem. But this is possibly a bigger problem, right? That's what's happened. Yeah. That's what's happened. Yeah. You know, actually, for for some of you may uh, uh, have read comics or watched some of these superhero movies. This this theme actually comes up quite a lot. This whole idea of okay, here's a superhero, and they've got these great powers, but is that something we're excited about or something we're terrified about? Right? Is this something that's a good thing or? Do we need to confine this person and monitor them and control them? Because what what, what are they going to do with these powers? We, we can't defend ourselves against this, right? One great power here has been dealt with. And now there's a far greater one. But what now? What now? There's a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia books that has been really, really widely shared, so I almost hesitate to use it, but honestly, it's been so widely shared because it is so helpful. In these books, right, in in these Narnia books, Jesus is represented by a lion named Aslan. And at this particular point in the book, the four human children, who are the main characters in the book, uh, they haven't met Aslan yet, but they're hearing about him from, this, from Mr. Beaver. And this is, this is the quote, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Right? Jesus is immensely powerful. Certainly not domesticated. Tamed, able to be manipulated and ordered around by us? No. He's independent. He's his own authority. He's God, the King. He's not to be messed with, not to be taken lightly. But praise God, he is good. He is good. See, in this passage today and in the next few passages coming up in Mark, we see these twin dynamics. Jesus could not possibly be more powerful and he could not possibly be more good and compassionate and kind. What he does with his immense, mind boggling, awe inspiring, speak and the wind and the waves obey power. What he does with that power is exercise it for the good of people in desperate situations. He exercises it for the good of others. Now let's think about this a little bit more. What are we saying here and what are we not saying? Is the point of this passage that Jesus is available to us to give us everything we want? Right. When you go out on the boat, just make sure Jesus is in the boat with you. Right? Then everything will go as you want. Is he our all powerful vending machine? A genie whose mindset is, Your wish is my command? A pet dog that we can name Spotty, who will do tricks for us? Certainly not. Certainly not. My friends, the wind and the waves obey Him, He does not obey you. We know that this all-powerful, all-good God is with us, and therefore we should have faith. Not faith that He will do whatever we want Him to do, but faith that all will be well because we are in His hands. I was reading in one commentary that in the early church, the early church faced a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulties, and apparently this particular scene shows up multiple times in artworks. This is what the early church held on to, yes, we're in a little boat in a violent storm getting tossed to and fro but it's going to be okay because jesus is with us right not that snap our fingers and all the persecution is going to disappear and everything's going to be easy going tomorrow no but we're going to be okay because jesus god very god is with us let's dig a little deeper into this by thinking more about the question that the disciples ask Jesus when they wake him up. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The irony of this question is is incredible, really, when we think about the bigger picture of the Gospels right? What do we know from our Bibles? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He's here on Earth in the first place because he cares that sinners are perishing. That's why he became man. That's why he will go to the cross. Because he cares that sinners are perishing. Brothers and sisters, do you think that the one who commands the wind and the waves with a word, do you think that he got arrested by Roman soldiers because he couldn't fight them off? too powerful for me? Do you think he got nailed to the cross because he wasn't strong enough, powerful enough to escape? With a word, with a word, Jesus could have walked away from His captors, walked away from that cross. The taunts that were given to Jesus when He was on that cross, in a moment He could have come down. He came into this world and He went to the cross because He most definitely does care that we are perishing. Who is Jesus? He is fully man. He is fully God. With all the power of God. And He is good and full of kindness and compassion and grace. And he came into this world to save sinners from perishing. Now that's wonderful news, isn't it? Amen.